And that's what it's all about. I mean, if I'm not the guy you want to listen to, that's okay. There's other people that I would recommend all day long, including you, Ash. So, (laughs) Thanks, Brian. That's very kind. Hi, I'm Mike Rhodes from websavvy.com.au, and you're listening to my friend Ash Roy on ProductiveInsights.com. Welcome to the Productive Insights Podcast. This is episode 116. This episode is brought to you by the Productive Insights Done For You podcast launch service, which positions you as a leading authority in your market and successfully turns listeners into high-value repeat customers. Book a call with me on callashroy.com to discuss how we can get started today. Today's guest is a pioneer in the content marketing space, and I've been following his work for over five years. I was introduced to his work by John Morrow, whom I featured in episode three of this podcast. In January of 2006, he started a one-man blog called Copyblogger, which quickly evolved into an influential digital trade magazine for the online industry. Both The Guardian and Advertising Age have recognized Copyblogger as one of the most powerful and influential blogs in the world. Copyblogger never took venture capital and made it to eight figures in annual revenue without advertising, which is something that I personally find incredibly inspiring. In 2014, Forbes named our guest a top 10 online marketing expert. Inc. Magazine says he's an expert marketer, and he was ranked number three on a list of 100 most influential online marketers of 2009. He's been featured in several books, including Lynchpin and Meatball Sunday by Seth Godin, Content Inc. and Epic Content Marketing by Joe Polizzi, whom I interviewed in episode 75 of this podcast. He's been featured in ProBlogger by Darren Rouse, who I featured in episode 73 and 74, and several other influential books and publications. I think his reputation precedes him, and if you haven't guessed who he is already, I'm honored to welcome Brian Clark, founder of copyblogger.com. Welcome to the Productive Insights Podcast, Brian. It's great to have you here. Brian, I think you've been and continue to be a pioneer in the content marketing space, and you have used it to launch a massively successful business in Copyblogger Media and Rainmaker Digital. What's even more inspiring is that you haven't accepted any outside investment, any startup capital. Can you talk about why content marketing is so critical to business and growth of business in today's world? Well, it's, it's what works digitally, you know, online because in that context, you don't have the former traditional broadcast control. You know, they're a while back. It's been a while now, but there were three stations in the United States. And, you know, that's all you had to watch. And there were commercials and you couldn't avoid them, really. Mm-hmm. And it was a great time to be a brand advertiser at that point. But things changed, more channels, and then the Internet came. And that really turned things upside down as far as we as consumers have all the control. We self-research. We start the buyer's journey on our own. No one even knows we're doing it. And that's very empowering. And that forced companies to have to switch to a mode where they kind of show up with useful content first, and then hopefully you become the person they select. So uh, I think for larger companies, it took a, a much longer time to get started doing that. But when I became an entrepreneur in the late 1990s, we didn't have this term content marketing, but I kind of stumbled into it because that's what people paid attention to. And if you wanted to reach people with a chance of 
making revenue, building a business, et cetera, you really kind of had to build an audience. So mm. I had no previous traditional marketing experience whatsoever. I learned everything kind of on the job online in the late nineties and early two thousands. And that's really what I owe. I owe my cluelessness or I owe my success to being clueless, but that was a good thing because I, I had nothing to unlearn. I think traditional marketers struggled more moving to content and digital than perhaps those of us who were new to it did. Yeah, I know that you started your career as a lawyer, and so you had completely no contact with the whole marketing area. I personally have come from a corporate background in marketing and finance and strategy, and I know we used to call this above-the-line marketing, where you had the three channels and you just blasted your message out at people ad infinitum and pretty much using the shotgun approach. But with the advent of the internet, we now have what essentially is mass customization when it comes to marketing. So we are able to target our messages to individuals almost using things like retargeting and very specific Facebook marketing techniques and so on. Now, that brings up an interesting point because you recently spoke with Darren Rouse on your podcast, Unemployable, and I really enjoyed that episode because you and Darren both agreed that focusing on just sales funnels and you know smart sales funnels is not enough. You still need to have a human aspect to your interaction. You need to be a human being that is communicating with another human being. You need to be real. You need to be authentic. So despite all the technology that the internet and sales funnels, et cetera, automated marketing brings to the table, people are forgetting to be authentic in their marketing and their content creation. Could you talk to us a bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. And that was great timing with that conversation with Darren. It was at the end of 2016, and I was already planning to return to copy blogger writing on a regular basis for the first time in many years. And I started off uh, at the beginning of the new year talking about content marketing strategy. So for sure, I am amazed by marketing technology and what we can do with adaptive and customizable sequences that really come across as personalized for that person. And yet, I think we've gotten to a point where people are so reliant on the technology that they've forgotten that it's that human connection, that resonant human voice that matters first. So I certainly didn't want to come across as if I'm down on marketing technology, that would be pretty bad considering <laughs> what we're doing with the Rainmaker platform. But I did want to come back and say, let's get back to basics here. And, you know, in the world we live in now, you can't put out this whitewash generic content in the hopes of not offending anyone because you're not going to connect with anyone. Right. So a big part of what I'm talking about in the context of who are you trying to speak to? Not, not just whoever shows up or whomever to be correct, <laughs> but, um, but who do you want to attract? Who shares your core values so that you can be you, you can be authentic. Uh, you can connect strongly with people and yes, you're going to run off the rest of the people, but hey, in this world, you're always going to do that anyway. I think the worst situation you could be in is, is to not really resonate with anyone. And yet so much of the content I see out there is exactly like that. Look, I've got to be honest and say that 
I've made that mistake in the past of trying to be everything to everyone and ending up being nothing to anyone. So I completely agree. We need to be clear about our target audience. And a great action step for our listeners is to create a customer avatar or a listener avatar, someone, a kind of persona, a, a listener persona or a reader persona, depending on how your content is being delivered. So you understand who you're going to speak to. Another great tool to use is the empathy map, which allows you to understand what your target listener or reader is thinking, seeing, feeling, and so on and so forth. So if you're listening to this episode, it's a great idea to go and Google these things, empathy map and avatar spelled A-V-A-T-A-R, and you can get some great information there. There's some awesome content, by the way, on copyblogger.com as well around this, which I highly recommend you check out. I was a Copyblogger Authority member for many years, and I cut my teeth on content marketing there. So definitely worth checking out. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, again, all of January, I've been going through this who, what, and how process to create your, your strategy. And, you know, in talking about the who, I mentioned persona and avatar, but I actually think of it in terms of a character because uh-huh. you're, you're taking a character and you're putting them in the middle of a story in which they're the center of that story. They're the hero. If you're doing great marketing, you don't position your brand as the main hero. And that's a throwback again to more traditional broadcast media. But they're on the journey, so that makes them the hero. Your brand can also be a hero, but you're more of a mentor, a guide. You're the one saying, here, we can help you if you buy our product, but I'm going to help you before that because then you'll choose me and my product and service. And empathy mapping is a huge tool in that, so I'm glad you mentioned that. Speaking of what you just said, the, the who is the hero in the journey, I've got to say, I had a fantastic conversation with Joe Polizzi in episode 75, and I loved what he said. He said, a lot of content marketers make the mistake of creating content around their product. And you just touched on this. He said that good quality content solves a problem and meets the customer on their journey. And I even touched on this in my interview with Sonia Simone in episodes 107 and 108. So we talked about the washing machine as an example, and this wasn't exactly the example that Joe Polizzi used, but he said, if a customer is trying to buy a product, let's say a washing machine in this example, they don't need to know why your washing machine is the best washing machine in the world. They need to know what problems they need to solve. In other words, what's the difference between a front loader and a top loader the problems they need to solve before buying a washing machine. Now, if that content happens to be on your website and you happen to be whirlpool.com, then you're more likely to make the sale, which is what I think you just alluded to. Yeah, absolutely. It's not the best in the world. It's the best for them and Mm. understanding what that means, which is a different way of looking at the problem. But I, in my opinion, it's a very effective way. And that's what we've been doing for the last decade. Yeah, yeah, that's such a good point. It's not the best in the world. It's best for them. It's best for who your audience is. So let's talk a little bit about that. How do you come up with such a deep understanding of your audience? I have one clue, and that is when I trained with John Morrow in his uh, blog launch formula program, which I don't believe he offers anymore, he kept emphasizing the importance of really writing down and understanding your audience, your avatar, Could you share with us your techniques to actually get into the head of your audience? Yeah, to some degree in this particular path that I've been on since founding Copyblogger in many ways, and we encourage this. This is not 
supposed to be uh, something to discourage you, but in many ways I was similar to my character or persona or avatar in that I was trying to reach uh, content creators at the beginning, specifically bloggers, and then it expanded out and into this great big world of content marketing that we're now in. They were creators, not highly technical. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now I had been publishing online since the late nineties. So I had to struggle back then with, uh, HTML, you know, creators (laughs) and individual, uh, page uploads by FTP and all of this stuff that I think a lot of people, especially business people sitting here today, I have no idea what you're saying. Right. So when WordPress came along in 2005 for people like me, this was like, wow, this is so much easier. And then yet, as I got into it, I took a step back and said, okay, how are they not like me? And WordPress was really hard for the average business person, right? So it was the realization of how am I like them and how am I not like them that allowed me to construct a person that I held in my mind that I was writing to and creating products for eventually. And that's really kind of been the secret to our success. On one hand, you have built-in empathy for people who are similar to you, right? On the other hand, you have to step back and realize you are not your audience. That as a subject matter expert, you're always a step ahead or 10 steps ahead. So you have to dial back that curse of knowledge thing where you're assuming they know what you're talking about when they don't. So in in many ways, uh, deciding to attract people with your same core values and even your own generational characteristics. For example, when I first started CopyBlogger, I made a lot of analogies related to pop culture. Uh And mostly those would resonate with people in Generation X, right? People similar in age to me. Uh Didn't matter if they were a woman or a man or other demographics. It was more about what was important in your life. What do you remember as far as movies and music and books and things like that? Right. More topical related. And that's an important thing also. And I'd love to hear what you think about that because Coming from that corporate marketing background, you guys oh. were heavy on demographics and psychographics, oh. but maybe not realizing that people group together online topically, you know, like people get tribal around their interests oh. and that's why they gravitate towards content. Oh, look, from a corporate perspective, I have left the corporate world about maybe five years ago now, but when I was involved in it and when I was working in the marketing space, they didn't have a clue. I mean, they didn't get content marketing at all. They were still in the world of above-the-line marketing. They were still thinking in terms of mass media. A lot of corporates even today, as far as I'm aware, don't even know what retargeting is. So they're just absolutely clueless. And in a large proportion of the cases, they just outsource a lot of this work to agencies. So they are like, you know, at least one or two degrees removed from the whole idea of content marketing, listener avatars, they're still stuck in the world of segmentation and, as you said, psychographics and demographics. And all those things are okay, but they are, in my opinion, a little bit too removed for today's, for want of a better term, guerrilla marketing approach that, you know, the internet lends itself to. I think you can't just afford to think in terms of psychographics and demographics. You now have to think in terms of Joe and Jane. And as you said, what did Joe and Jane grow up listening to? You know, what analogies do I need to be talking about in my content to essentially call them out and connect with them emotionally? 
Because I believe good quality content connects emotionally and then delivers some kind of a transformation. But that emotional connection initially is pivotal to then delivering the transformation. That's absolutely right. And I think those of us who built our businesses through content and through audience in that way, we're much more in tune, we're much more scrappy because there's no agency to outsource to. We're the ones <laughs> yeah, <laughs> who yeah. did every, all of this. Um, right. And yet when you look at it sitting here today in 2017, I'm not complaining about that at all because it's been amazing what we've been able to accomplish. Just like you mentioned, without taking venture capital, without any investors at all, we're in the low eight figures in revenue. That's, mm. you know, that's not too bad. That's huge, man. That's awesome. Now, a significant part of that is also the software offerings. Is that correct? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So you've also built a successful software as a service business. Right. So we have pretty much everything is software when you really get down to it. Even the WordPress themes over at StudioPress, uh, the Genesis framework is software. And then the designs, of course, are not, but they, they work inherently with the Genesis framework. And that was more of our uh, one-time purchase type of model. But we also do WordPress hosting. And then, of course, we do the Rainmaker platform, which is a full-blown marketing automation SaaS. Oh, right. And what approximate proportion of copybloggers' revenue is software as compared to information products? The vast majority. If you include hosting with Rainmaker, most of our revenue is tied to that part of the business and it's recurring. And then mm -hmm. you have another big chunk, which is StudioPress themes and the Genesis framework. And we're just about to launch a hosted solution over at StudioPress, which our goal is to get to as near to 100% recurring revenue as we can yes. based on either software or hosted solutions. Yes, recurring revenue is a beautiful thing. I've said this on multiple episodes on my podcast, but I think it's great because it costs between five and nine times as much to acquire a new customer as it does to retain an existing one. That's what I learned when I did my MBA. And I, I think that that's probably close to the mark. And people miss that all the time. It's finally uh, at the, you know, the corporate enterprise level customer experience, right? Mm. There's so much money to be made after they've already become a customer. Mm. And yet most of their mindset and, and budgeting goes to acquiring new customers. Yeah, it's insane. Uh, so that, <laughs> yeah, but it's shifting, but it took a long time. Mm. And again, so for those of us on the smaller side of things, uh, if you can develop a recurring revenue source, then that is wonderful. It is so predictable and stable. And because we've been able to succeed at that, it gives us the stability and the confidence to be more ambitious, again, without having a war chest of venture capital sitting somewhere. Exactly. And I'll tell you what, the downside of venture capital, which, by the way, I have vehemently been against and avoided through my entire startup journey, is that they then start calling the shots because they're funding you. And if they are not conversant or deeply familiar with your business model, they essentially have the risk of destroying it. And we talked to uh, this level, we would do something with a private equity person, right? So when you're eight figures and you're profitable and you're bootstrapped, then you don't talk to VCs anymore. You talk mm. to private equity people and they want to buy a portion of your company because mm. that's an investment. Mm. And then they want you to grow it, double it, triple mm. it so they can get an exit, right? 
and exactly. talking to them, it's still, it just cracks me up because they just look at us and they go, how have you done this with no salespeople, <laughs> no, no investment, no venture capital? We don't understand. And mm. I said, it's called audience and copywriting. <laughs> you know, that's how you sell online when you don't have a traditional Salesforce model, right? Yeah. Yep. So, but it amuses me a little because these are our finance guys. They're very, mm. very smart people. Mm. And yet they don't think of business in the way that we do. So they just marvel at it. And, and you know, it's just, it's not my personality type to really be, I don't brag about it. I'm just like, well, this is what we're good at, you know, and thanks for your interest. So (laughs) we've still never said yes to anyone. But I'll tell you what, I have a background that's similar to a lot of these private equity guys, and I've worked closely with them. In fact, I worked with a private equity company, and I was involved in the cash flow analysis when the company was sold. These guys are trained to think, like I said before, in terms of segmentation, demographics, psychographics at that higher level. They're trained in traditional finance and marketing and business strategy, which, in my opinion, is no longer relevant, at least not for the small guy. It might work for large corporates, but I personally think that large corporates are leaving a lot of money on the table by not understanding content marketing. And I, for one, have made the shift across from that background into the content marketing space in the last three years. And I can tell you what, I have learned so much. And I would like to think I have the best of both worlds. To another point of yours that I am, if you've followed Copyblogger for a while, and I know you have, Uh you know, we're very against the internet marketing guru snake oil stuff. Yeah. Right. I mean, and and we positioned ourselves long ago at Copyblogger to not be that to win the trust because we live in different worlds. You know, there was the blogging world, which didn't like the snake oil. And then there was the WordPress world and they sure didn't like it. Uh Uh, And then it grew up into content marketing and that was wonderful. And we got to participate in that. But my point being that I hope companies like ours, you've got companies like Moz, you've got these other companies that did this audience first Uh content and then products and they're legitimate. And I really do believe that it is smart to look to people like Rand Fishkin and hopefully myself and and, and Darren Rouse and, and these people because where else are you going to go? You can't go to the snake oil people. Right. But you also can't go to the corporate people because they don't know what they're doing. They don't. <laughs> they absolutely don't. I love what Chris Garrett said in episode six of this podcast. He said, content marketing is a conversation that is happening between a buyer and a seller which, and he didn't say these words, but I think they lead to a sale. The question Chris Garrett said is, do you as a seller want to be part of that conversation or not? Because it's happening anyway. And I really loved how he put that. By the way, I'm a huge fan of Rand Fishkin as well. And I'm hoping to have him back next month on the show. So let's see how that works out. I completely agree that content marketing is that conversation and it has to be an equal conversation, not a snake oil salesman conversation where you're trying to shovel your product down the audience's throat, it's an inductive process where you're giving value first. As Bob Berg said when I interviewed him, it's about giving value first and then allowing the customer to respond by making a purchase if they see value in the conversation you're having through content marketing. Yeah. And it's important to to also note, it would be nice if we were equals. But in reality, I always think of the audience as a head or more powerful because 
I know a lot. I've been doing this for, wow, 18 years now, I think, mm-hmm. at least 18 years. And, uh, and I know a lot of things and I love to share it and I love to teach people and help them out and it's helped my business. But if I come across like your traditional authoritative person who says, you listen to me, I know what I'm saying, you don't know anything, they're gone, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So you have to demonstrate that authority and not just tell people how important you are because there's someone else that they can go listen to. It's not enough to be an expert. You have to be a likable expert. I Uh, like that again. Yeah. I I love that term, but you also have to remember this. Not everyone's going to like you. You Mm. want the people who do to love you and forget everyone else because Mm. you're not going to convert everyone. But if you convert a lot of the people who choose you to listen to, that's a really good win right there. Mm. Now, you touched on a really interesting point, and it's subtle, but I want to bring it out. You talked about being an authority, but not necessarily coming across as authoritative. Now, I know Copyblogger has authority content, or they used to have a whole series on authority content. And I really like that, because what I want to bring out to the listeners is, it's not about being authoritative. It's about earning the authority by being likable and about serving your audience. I also like what you said about not necessarily thinking of yourself as an equal to your audience, but rather them being the customer or the boss in the sense that you are trying to deliver value to them and thereby earn their respect and trust, which is tantamount to authority. Yeah, I couldn't have done any of this without them, you know, without the audience. I hope that I've I've given sufficiently you know, in order to deserve to do business with people. And I think so. But, you know, again, you share what you know in a confident way, but also a likable way. Mm. But you don't claim to be the world's, you know, and so many people are still doing this, LinkedIn expert, social media expert, you know, Mm. whatever. Number one, you need to demonstrate instead of claim, which I said. But number two, let other people say you're the smartest guy they know or, or mm. you know, now that is great marketing right there. Mm. Because if you give that value to someone and the light bulb goes on for them and then they decide to tell people on Facebook, Twitter, in a blog post, whatever the case may be, that's not you bragging. That's them bragging on you. And yeah. there is nothing better, no better way to establish authority than when other people say you are. Yes, it's essentially like word-of-mouth marketing, really. Oh, right, on steroids. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. There's so much more. I wanted to talk to you about headlines and so on and so forth, but unfortunately, we're running out of time. So I will quickly sum things up and call out some action steps for our listeners. So here are some of the key action steps that I picked up from this conversation. The corporations are leaving a lot of money on the table because the traditional marketing methods are well and good, but in today's world, they're not enough. We need to be targeting our customers almost at an individual level. And to do that, we need to really understand our customers by creating customer avatars, empathy maps, and I'll link to some resources on how to create customer avatars and empathy maps in the show notes. Marketing technology like sales funnels and automated sequences and so on and so forth, they're great, but they're not enough. It is important to resonate with your customers or your audience at a human level first. And these sales tools and these marketing automation tools help to make that process more efficient, but you still need to resonate with your audience as a human being. 
you need to get clear on who you want to attract. And this is where the customer avatars and empathy maps are very useful. It's important to think in terms of an actual character when you're coming up with your avatar as an audience. It's not necessarily about being the best in the world. It's about being the best for your audience. And that's an important distinction when it comes to creating valuable offers and content that converts. I think good content connects emotionally with the target audience and then delivers a transformation after having made that emotional connection. And recurring revenue is probably one of the most understated and underutilized strategies in business. It is a lot cheaper to sell more products to your existing customers than it is to go out and acquire new customers. So the action steps are create an audience avatar or an empathy map for your ideal customer. And that essentially is writing about them as a character. Describe them, describe their age, how many children they have, what sort of job they do, what kind of life do they live, what kind of problems do they have, what are their pain points, what are their dreams and aspirations, what are their fears. Go to the show notes in this episode and look for the resources there. You just need to head over to ProductiveInsights.com and type in the words Brian Clark, spelled B-R-I-A-N-C-L-A-R-K, and the episode show notes should come up. You can also type in ProductiveInsights.com forward slash 116, which is this episode number. The next action step is to develop a recurring revenue mindset and look at introducing ways of offering more products and solutions to your existing customers and making sure that you're solving all their problems. The next action step is to create content that emotionally connects with your audience and then delivers a transformation. And to do this, it's important when you create content that you try and connect with your audience on a human level, especially if you're somebody who's really drawn to sales funnels and marketing automation. Understand that marketing automation and sales funnels are a great tool, but they only facilitate and make more efficient an underlying process. And that process is the process of connecting with your audience on an emotional level for which you need to be a relatable human being. Content marketing works if you understand who you want to speak to and you get a good understanding of your audience. You try and make sure you're a likable authority. You deliver value first and you don't try and force your solution onto the customer, but rather you try and be helpful. Did I miss anything? Well, I would just say that you can't go too far in the other direction. Eventually, you do have to make an offer, you know, to do business with someone and at that point, a lot of times the thing that gets people to take action is some kind of limited time offer or, or special promotion. Some, you know, scarcity is just so powerful on in its effect on us in that we literally are more afraid to lose something than the opposite, which is to gain, right? Mm -hmm. So what I like to say is when you give that value over and over and, and you're hitting all these buttons like social proof and authority and liking and unity is a, a big thing where the people you're trying to lead all feel like they're part of the same thing. That's so mm -hmm. powerful. At that point, you've earned the right to make an offer and no one is upset. But if you would have come out the gate doing the same exact thing, that's like trying to propose marriage on the first date. <laughs> yeah. but, and so many people do that. That's a mistake. So it's not that you're not allowed to try to sell your stuff. That's what business is. It's just, have you earned the right? And mm -hmm. when you have, it's a very powerful thing. Awesome. 
What books have had the biggest impact on you and how do listeners find out more about you? Well, yeah, as I mentioned, I knew nothing about marketing when I started publishing online. It was Seth Godin's Permission Marketing in 99. It was my mm-hmm. first marketing book and I was just like, oh, this is what I'm doing. Okay, perfect. It was, <laughs> I mean, it literally put me on the right track. And people say, well, that was written in 99. It doesn't matter. Go read it. It's still relevant. Email <laughs> is the transaction medium online. It's the audience building medium. And that book is really about email marketing, if you think about it. So pick it up. You can't go wrong reading that book, even if it is 18 years old now. Right. Um, Joe Paluzzi's Content Inc. is about uh, businesses like ours that were audience first through content. I got to write the forward for that, which was a great honor. Nice. And Joe, Joe also does a, a case study on us and I think Moz and, and several other companies. So that's a great book to read if you're interested in this from an entrepreneurial standpoint. Uh-huh. Uh, and beyond that, I will just say that compared to when I first started, there's almost too much information out there. Uh-huh. So but just find the person that you you feel like you trust and knows what they're doing. They have demonstrated results. And that's what it's all about. I mean, if I'm not the guy you want to listen to, that's okay. There's cool. other people that I would recommend all day long, including you, Ash. So <laughs> Thanks, Brian. That's very kind. Yeah. But if you head over to copyblogger.com, of course, we're publishing there every week. I'm still going with my content marketing strategy series that you can get in on and, and follow along with. I have a podcast for the more entrepreneurial and freelance types called Unemployable. Uh-huh. And just for fun, I have a newsletter that I do about personal growth called Further. It's at further.net. I actually uh, like that. I, I read it. Yeah, I really enjoy it. it. It could be a cool business in itself, and maybe someday it will be. But right now, I just enjoy doing it. So <laughs> Awesome. Well, thanks so much for being on the show, Brian. It was an absolute honor to have you. And one day I would love to have you back to talk about some things we didn't get a chance to talk about, which is headlines and understanding your audience and developing audience persona. Let me know. I'll be happy to come back. All right. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks for listening to the Productive Insights Podcast. You can find all the links in the show notes below this episode on ProductiveInsights.com. You can also ask questions in the comment section that Ash personally answers. How can Ash help you today? 